Thank you for tuning in to this week's message. For information about the church, you can go to our website, connectionschurch.church, or you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Good morning. How is everybody today? I got a question for you this morning. Why is there nobody on the front row? Right up here. Somebody must have got a hint that I was preaching this morning and said, don't sit on the front row. You're going to be sorry you didn't because you're going to want to make sure that you heard what thus saith the Lord this morning. So if that takes you being on the front row in order to make that happen, and you know you better than any of the rest of us, make your way down here now. We'll give you that opportunity to go ahead and be on the front row. Thank you, Miss Lisa. She was already on the front row. She just switched from one side to the other. If you've got your handouts with you this morning, get those out. Hopefully you've got a pen because you were already writing on those blue forms. You're going to want to take some notes this morning. I've got so much that God has put on my heart for today, for the end of this mini-series that we've been in called Escape, that I've had to whittle it down. And now I look at my watch and I say, I've got 25 minutes, maybe, if you guys are nice to me. How in the world could we possibly get where we need to go in 25 minutes? But we're going to give it a shot this morning. How many of you are with me? Nudge your neighbor and see if they're still awake over there. Thank you, thank you so much for being here today. I want you to get your Bibles out. We didn't do a whole lot of on-the-screen on stuff today, so you can't be lazy and wait until they pop it up there. You're going to have to have your Bible in your hand. I hope you've got your, your Bible with you. If you, don't, if you have an electronic device, I want you to go to Revelation. Now, I don't know exactly where we're going in Revelation yet, but it's only 22 chapters, so it'll be okay. Just get there. It's the last book in the Bible. Once you've got that open and you've got your handout available to you and you've got your glasses ready to go in case you need those, and this is the first time I've ever come to the pulpit at Connections Church Belmont campus and had to bring my glasses. Oh, that was a great time for you to say, oh. Now, when I spoke a couple weeks ago in Kings Mountain, I took my glasses up there with me because I had a passage of scripture I wanted to read, and I thought, well, I won't use them. It'll be okay. So they were just here. But when I stood up to speak and I got my Bible in front of me, I couldn't see what I was trying to see, and I, so then on they went. So do you feel my pain this morning? Time is short. Time is shorter than it's ever been before. As I read through this Bible, this book of life that we've been given, and I don't know about you, I don't take this book for granted. For those of you that may not know what I mean by that is I don't just keep this thing around as a doorstop or to hold down the back windshield of my car area. I don't take this book for granted because I've been told, I believe, and I know this morning that every word that's in this book is life. How many of you believe that? Every word that's in this book is life. And so even the table of contents, I just look over it and I start with Genesis and it's on page 21. And I'm thinking, well, what happened between pages 1 and 20? Why is there so much stuff before Genesis starts? I don't take it for granted. I like to read it and I like to analyze it and figure out what in the world's going on in there. And then my Bible's got... 2,000 and some odd pages before I ever get to Revelation and then I get to the concordance and I see words in the concordance that I didn't know were there and so that makes me want to study those and I start looking back to see what scriptures they reference to. Do you understand that I'm obsessed this morning with this book? This book is life. This book speaks to us. 
Some of you go through your lives and, 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 and you'll call Pastor Robert or Pastor Terry or myself and you'll say, man, I need to get together and I need to talk. I got something heavy on my heart. And we'll, so we'll make time for that as we love to do. And we'll sit down over a cup of coffee or maybe you could buy us dinner. Wouldn't that be nice, B-Rob? And you'll say, I just can't hear God speaking to me. And sometimes the first thing out of my mouth is going to be a question. Well, do you read his word? You say, well, I'd like to, but I just can't seem to find the time. Well, guess what? That's why you don't feel like God's speaking to you. You have to read it sometimes. Some of us have an audible voice that sometimes will speak to us, and we say, thank you, Lord, for that audible voice. Most of the time in my life, that's not God. It's Julie, my wife, telling me that I would forgot to do something once again. But sometimes it's an audible voice, but most of the time... And I'm only 46, so I haven't experienced some of the times that you all in your lives have experienced. Some of you are way older than me. But most of the time, it's through God's Word, through reading God's Word, hearing God's Word, absorbing God's Word that He speaks life to us. Amen? I keep coming across some really good stuff in this book. I, I flip from one page to the other and I'll see where I had highlighted it somewhere in the past when Pastor Robert spoke or some other pastor, some podcast, something that I went to, someone spoke and I, I thought, well, that's good right there. And now I'm a Bible marker. Maybe some of you are not, but I'll highlight it in a heartbeat. I'll circle it. I'll put an asterisk beside it. I'll put another scripture reference beside something in the Old Testament to reference something in the New Testament, something in the New Testament, or reference something in the Old Testament. Are you with me? I'll just mark it up because I want to see it there. And I'll, I'll see these, some, these scriptures that, that I go, man, that stands out right there. Let me give you some examples. These are things we all love. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a bathroom mirror kind of scripture, is it not? Oh, we love that. How about this one? Isaiah 40.31. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Y'all have read that before. That's a good one. Romans 8, 31. If God is for us, then who can be against us? I love that one. That makes me want to go out and punch somebody. But that's not what that scripture's for. That's to let God do the punching, believe it or not. But we like that scripture. We can hold on to something like that. Psalm 73, 26. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Man, you just want to write that out and pray over that one on a daily basis. That's a good one right there. Jeremiah 29, 11, You know this one. For I know the plans I have for you, God says. Plans to prosper we like that scripture. Psalms 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. We want to hold on to that. Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and serve God and, and those who are called according to his purpose. Aren't those good? Now, when we flip through these things we call our Bibles, we find those on the pages and, and we say, man, that's a good scripture right there. And I'm going to write that on an index card and I'm going to get that on the mirror. And then we flip over another couple chapters or maybe to the next book in there and we see another one and we go, man, that is awesome. When we read past those things, we want to take hold of those. And, and that's what we should do is we should, we should relish the information that's there in those lines. 
Well, those are the things that posters are made out of. I just thought of that. Have you ever been in a coach's office or down the hallway towards the coach's office or maybe in a classroom or somewhere like that or maybe in your doctor's office? And there's those posters, those inspirational 24 by 36 posters on the wall and those are the scriptures you're going to find on those, right? But I realized as I'm reading through these 2,000 plus pages that are in my Bible that there's some stuff in between all of those things. There, there, there's some things that I don't have highlighted. There's some just black and white printed material and some empty margins. And I didn't write anything beside those parts. And so I got to thinking about those. And I'm like, why did I not mark this verse or, 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 or that verse? And, and, and that bothers me. In the midst of all of those golden nuggets of Scripture that we like to put on posters and show off, and some of you will post those on Facebook, and I appreciate it, there's all kinds of other stuff. So try this one on for size. Genesis 6, 5, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man, and great in the earth, and, and every thought of his heart was evil continually, and the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Well, that wouldn't make a very good poster, would it? Well, you don't want to get out of bed in the, in the morning and, 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 and realize on the wall there beside your bed is this plaque that you've put together and hung up that says God was grieved with man. Well, what about this one? Numbers 22, 22. Then God's anger was aroused. That probably wouldn't make a very good Facebook post. What about Psalm 7, 11? God is a just judge and God is angry at the wicked every day. What about 1 Kings eleven nine? 9? So the Lord became angry with Solomon. Nobody wants us to remember that it's possible that we've done something that the Lord would be angry with us at. 2 Kings chapter 17, And the Lord rejected all of the descendants of Israel, afflicted them, and delivered them into the hand of plunderers until He had cast them from His sight. Probably not something that we like to think about. And then there's all these books in here, in the Old Testament especially, with these names of these prophets on them. These prophets like Jeremiah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Nahum, Jonah, Zechariah. These guys are all talking about this terrible day of the Lord, they call it. They're standing on the street corners. They're, they're going to the synagogues. They're, they're, they're speaking at every opportunity they can. And they're saying, repent of your sins. The day of the Lord is coming. Exile, famine, disaster is coming upon you. And you say, well, that doesn't make very good inspirational messages. So I said, well, maybe it's just Old Testament stuff. Maybe we better make our way into the New Testament. But then in between all of the things that I've got highlighted there, I found John 2, the verse 13, that says, He found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. And he had made a whip of cords and he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the money changers' money and overturned the tables. Who's he? Jesus. Somebody sent me a picture that they had 
posted on Facebook the other day, and it was a picture, a, a depiction, if you will, of Jesus doing this in the temple, overturning the tables and had that whip in his hand. And they said, please remember that when you ask me WWJD, what would Jesus do? This is in the realm of possibility. So then I continue into Mark chapter 3, verse 5, and I read, And when he had looked around them with anger. Then I look at Romans 1, 8, and it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and righteousness. Then I see in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, for it says, For our God is a consuming fire. Say that with me. For our God is a consuming fire. And so I start to ponder those things. I say, man, this, is, this stuff isn't pleasant to talk about. That's why I don't have it highlighted in my Bible. Because no one ever stood in the pulpit or preached a message where I had been in attendance and said, make sure you mark this one, Hebrews 12, 29. God is a consuming fire. But I want to encourage you to do that. It, it's now marked in mine. I want you to have that as a reference point. We don't like to think about that kind of stuff. But God, our God, is a consuming fire. So suddenly we can't figure out how we're supposed to use all this information. I'm scratching my head and I'm thinking, I'm supposed to come at people with inspirational messages. We're supposed to come at people with inspirational posts. We want to go out and tell people that everything is going to be great and they can do it. And all that stuff is good. Jesus loves you. We, we love to promote that. We love to, to bring out the Jeremiah 29's 11 and, and let people know that they can prosper in Christ. But we also have to preach teach, speak, read, understand the parts in between, do we not? We have a responsibility as Christ followers to understand and digest the full gospel of Jesus Christ. The day is coming when God, the God that we serve, will execute His plan of judgment upon this earth. We have to understand that the nations and all of the people who have reje rejected Jesus Christ as His Son for who He really is, and I hope that doesn't come to a surprise to you, but those people, those nations, they will be banished into eternal damnation. They, they will have no more chances. It will be over at that point. And so I want us to flip, if you would, again to the book of Revelation. And I think I want you to go to chapter 6. Revelation is the last book in the Bible. And it's reason that it's the last book in the Bible. It, it, it's, it's the culmination of all of the events that have been going on since the beginning of time. You say, well, pastor, I don't understand. Why do we even have this book? Why do we even have this Bible? Listen, from Genesis Chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth to Revelation chapter 22. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about what He has done, not what we have done. And so we see story after story and account after account. We see the history, the history of who we are. You get that this morning. It's the history of who we are. So when you read this thing, and you've got to read it with a really personal, personal 
feeling, even when you're in Leviticus, even when you're in Judges, even when you read in 2 Samuel, you have to understand it's part of who you are. It's part of how you got to be where you are. And you see people, His creation from Adam and Eve all the way up through, all of us, His his creation has at times rejected who He is. And as you read through the Old Testament, and I would love to to go through the Old Testament with you and go through book by book and explain to you why we have that book. What is in there? Why do we need this information? But what we see are people, his creation, people that he desperately loves rejecting him, turning their back on him, deciding they can do this thing on their own, worshiping idols, killing each other, Lying, stealing, and God in His mercy and in His grace sends another king, another judge, another priest, another prophet to tell them once again, repent! The day is coming, the day of the Lord is coming. And you don't want to be part of that. Our God has a wrath That wrath is coming regardless of what we think about it, regardless of how much we don't teach or preach about it. The book of Revelation will come to pass. How many of you believe that this morning? Everything in that Bible will come to pass. And so as we go to chapter 6, I want to read to you because there's no way to to give any commentary on this, to make it any better than it is. There's there's no way to describe it or explain it better than the Bible explains it. And I'm just going to read to you some of the passages very, very quickly. won't take up much of your time. I know everybody would just rather go eat lunch. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Verse 1 of chapter 6 says, Please understand who the Lamb is. Please go back and read chapters 1 through 5 and focus on the fact that in the scene that John paints, in the midst of this large throne room scene with John weeping and crying because there has been a scroll that has not been able to be opened, there stands in the middle of that room. I am telling you something right now that is going to happen. In the middle of that scene that John paints for us in chapters 4 and 5, in the middle of that room, there is a lamb that looks like he has been slain. Get that picture in your head. And that lamb, who is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, walks over and takes the scroll out of the right hand of the one who sits on the throne. Are you with me? Go back and read it. Don't have time to get into it this morning other than what I just said. That is the lamb at the beginning of chapter 6 that we're talking about. It's Jesus Christ. And here is the wrath of God starting to be displayed on earth and on the people and on the nations. I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. It was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the lamb opened the second seal, then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given the power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. The third seal was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in its hand. 
The fourth seal was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the, under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word and the testimony that they had maintained. I'm going over to verse 12. The sixth seal, there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black the, like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell to earth as late figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes and the generals and the rich and the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves among the rocks of the mountains. Listen to what they said. They called to the mountains and to the rocks. They said, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? I'm skipping over to uh, chapter 8. It says, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And then I saw seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. I'm going to verse 7. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up, and all the grass was burned up. Are you still with me this morning? Then the second angel sounded his trumpet and something like a huge mountain all of was ablaze and thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood and a third of the living creatures in the, in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. Then a third angel sounded his trumpet and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and the springs of the water and a third of the waters were turned bitter and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars. So a third of them turned dark, a third of the day was without light and also a third of the night. Chapter 9, a fifth angel sounded his trumpet. And I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. The sun and the sky were darkened by smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions on the earth. Verse 13, the sixth angel sounded his trumpet and I heard a voice coming from the horns of the golden altar that is before God. He, it, said to the, it said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates and the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was 200 million. I heard their number. And on over to chapter 11, verse 15, the seventh angel then sounds his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven. And those voices said this, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. He will reign forever and forever. I bet you, you don't have that posted on a piece of paper or an index card posted on your mirror in your bathroom. I bet you you don't have the scriptures referencing what we just read readily and handily available to you to, to energize you every morning. The culmination of time as we know it, this linear, slippery slope that we, that we call our lives will culminate as we just read 
God will have his day. He will have his day of wrath on the people and the nations who've rejected Jesus Christ. When we think about it in that context, sometimes it, it, it may not make us feel real, real happy, but it, but it should have an impact on us. It, it may not give us the warm and fuzzies. It may not be the story time that we choose to read to our kids at night before they go to bed, but it should impact us in such a powerful way that we take time to comprehend it, understand it, study it, and include it with all those nice little sayings and scriptures that we read at the beginning. This is the most tragic, the most horrible, the most unimaginable thing that will ever come upon the face of this earth or be done to any human being. And so I wrestled this week with the fact that somebody's going to hear this or you're going to tell somebody about what the preacher preached on Sunday and they're immediately going to turn to, oh, so that's the God that you serve. You've been talking to me about your Jesus. You've been talking to me about your God, but yet you're telling me that he's going to bring this imaginable thing upon this planet, upon people. The truth is, yes, he is. You say, well, how can God be just in doing that? The answer is, our God, say that with me, our God, is so holy, He has no choice. He has no choice. He has to bring judgment because our God is faithful, our God is true, our God does not lie, and He said... For those that will believe on my Son, I will bring salvation. And this book says, for those that will not, there will be eternal hell. He has to bring judgment in order for Him to be the just and holy God that we serve, that we believe that He is. There's no choice about it. You can't make a gray area in there and say, yeah, but maybe. No, there's nothing like that. It can't happen. He will bring justice. For all the people through history that we talked about who have rejected the Lord, they will stand at the white throne judgment and they will be judged for what they have done and for what they have not done. Do you understand that omission is sometimes as great as commission? If you do not receive Christ, if you do not make the effort to receive Christ, you have omitted that from your life and you will suffer the judgment to come. So in this history lesson that we have written down in this book called the Bible, we see great stories. We, we see life lessons. We have this book so that we can get an actual picture of who our God is. And we love to celebrate our God, His love, His mercy, His compassion. But we also have to understand that part of the attributes of our God are judgment and wrath and anger. He is the whole package and His wrath is coming. We have this book so that we can get this actual picture of, of who God is and how He created us and, and how His grace and His mercy have been shown to people over the centuries. And we know that we too are being extended in this day and age that we live. Today, this word says, is the day of salvation. We're being extended 
the opportunity to come and to, to repent of our sins and to follow Christ. And in doing so, and this may be the first note that any of you write on your handout. In doing so, in receiving who Christ is, we will escape God's wrath. We will escape God's wrath. A couple of years back, a group of us went to an escape room for Julie's birthday, for my wife's birthday. How many, how many of you have been to an escape room? Really? I thought more people would have been to an escape room. It was a cool experience. I mean, who doesn't want to show up somewhere with a group of about six people and get locked in a room? Right? That sounds like a blast, right? Friday night kind of fun. So we took Julie and we went to an escape room over in Charlotte. And the uh, man that was there took our money. And then he took us down a hallway. <clears throat> he opened a door. He gave us some instructions, which I don't remember what they were because I was freaked out at the time. And he shut the door and locked it. And there we were. And the first thing I remember seeing in that escape room was this digital clock on the wall. It was right above the door. It was the door we had come in, and it was now the locked door. And it was the door that I had hoped that we would be exiting from. Here was this clock. Big, red, digital numbers. Tick, tick, tick. And so we got busy. We're looking around the room. There's a bed. There's a dresser. There's some suitcases laying around. We start reading the script uh, that, that was made up for this uh, escape room. And if you haven't been to one, I, I, I would recommend you do it. It's kind of fun. It kind of freaks you out a little bit. And some of us need to be freaked out a little bit, right? We start reading the script. And there were some people in the room that were way smarter than I was. And they were like, hey, this, there's a number written in the script. That's probably a combination. So immediately, two or three of us started going to all these locks that were on different stuff. And we start putting that number in thinking how smart we are because we're going to nail this thing. And here sits the clock on the wall. Tick. 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 And that's when the stress started. They were like, oh, you got an hour, hour 15. I don't remember what it was to solve this and, and, and unlock the door. He'll be fine. Well, we were 30 minutes in and we hadn't got anywhere. We were still kind of turning stuff over and looking under stuff. And I was like, wow, this is a Seelipostropedic. This is kind of cool right here. That doesn't have anything to do with it. Find the clues. We got to get out of here. And the clock is just ticking over there on the wall. And the stress starts to set in. I don't know what the rest of the people that were there with me were expecting, but I just half expected it. If we didn't solve that puzzle, by the time that clock ended... We were just goners. Like, you know, we'd gone to Charlotte and, and, and that was it. People, a news headline reads the next day, you know, six people ride to Charlotte and, and they're never seen again. I, I, it just felt that way to me. Like I'm thinking, well, we could bust the door down. Like if the clock runs out before the little man that works here, that probably minimum wage, before he gets here, because he's got all the power in the world at that moment, right? He was holding the cordless phone. I'm just saying. And he started the clock. So I'm thinking, we could just bust the door down. Surely there's a window just on the other side of this. Was the building metal when we got here, or was it brick? I'm starting to process. How are we getting out of this thing? Click. Tick. None of those thoughts were doing me any good. We, we needed to find the clues to, the, to, the, to the why the pizza boy uh, had come in and, and someone was missing. 
And so there were all these things in the room. Uh, we flipped the mattress upside down, and under the mattress were these slats that hold the bed up, that hold the mattress up. On the back side of the slats, yeah, spoiler alert for those of you that haven't been there, on, on the back side of the slats, there was like bloody writing. And we're on the floor, like doing a puzzle, trying to figure out how does this make sense? What's going on with this? Surely someone was slain here if there's blood, right? So this has got to give us some kind of indication of how to get out of the room. And, and there's a suitcase with a lock on it, and someone's over there fiddling, and somebody else is standing in the corner of the room going, guys, we only got 20 minutes. They're like, I know, please shut up. It's, it's stressful. We're trying to figure this thing out. There was some kind of special flashlight that we found in one of the boxes and there was some kind of a stain on the wall and as you put the flashlight on there, it like had arrows and we're, there's like three of us. It was probably comical if you'd have seen it. We're, we're like, oh no, go this way. Oh yeah, look. Oh, oh, down, down. And it pointed us straight to a hole in the wall. We saw the hole five minutes in. But we didn't realize there was something in the hole that we needed to find at a specific time. So these escape rooms, I think, are, are fun to do, but they're also very stressful. And I think the reason that escape rooms are so successful and, and that they make so much sense and that we like to do that is because they really reenact real human action. This is how we go through our lives. There's a clock. We wear them on our wrists. We have them on our phones. How many of you have a phone? There's a clock on the front. It's ticking. And we live under that pressure all the time. And sometimes we feel like we're getting ahead and it's like, hey, this lock just popped. Look, there's an empty pizza box inside. Great. What are we going to do with that? I don't know. Open the lid. Jody loves Chachi. Wow, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But we keep getting a little bit further and we think, wow, this is great. But then we see the clock again and we're stressed. We've got to get out of here. Something's got to happen to, to release the stress of this situation. Something has to happen so we can, so we can move on. We, we, we find combinations to some things, some relationships. We, we get healed in some situations, but we don't in other situations. We, we get the job that we always wanted in one situation, and five years later, we're unemployed, and we really wish we'd made a different decision. There's all kinds of paths and roads and places and decisions to be made, just like one of those escape rooms. God's wrath is coming. At the end of the escape room experience for us, we called the little man with the cordless phone at the front desk and asked him for a few more minutes. That's what we did. We were so close and we knew it. We could feel it. We were about to solve this thing. It felt like we were about to solve world hunger or something. I mean, we were, just, we were so proud. We were just like, and we're like, man, the clock. And so somebody said, well, we'll just call him. We just called him. We're like, dude. We're close. He's like, yeah, you are. Let me give you five more minutes. Yes! But God's wrath is coming and there's a clock ticking and there's nothing that we know of as far as how much time that is. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be next week. I really thought when I was your age, when I was younger, like the kids that we have, I thought Jesus was coming back that week because that's what they kept telling us in church. And, and I think that's what the writers of some of these books in the Bible thought because they really were convinced that, that churches that they were writing to and the people that they were speaking to at that moment needed to get their lives straight. I really feel like Jeremiah thought... Christ was going to return even though he hadn't even been born yet because he was saying, repent of your sins. The day of the Lord is coming. They were convinced that it could be in their lifetime. I was convinced and am convinced that it will be in mine. 
But time is so critical. And the clock is running that we have to make sure that as we go through our Bibles and as we study and, and walk this life that we call the Christian walk, that we take the whole counsel of God's Word and that we celebrate in His love and His mercy and His grace and all the things we've got highlighted in our Bibles, but that we understand and that we can communicate that God's wrath is real. The good news for everybody that's here today, everyone watching us live on Facebook this morning, everyone who will hear this message in any way, shape, or form over the next weeks, months, and years to come, is that you can escape God's wrath. And it's very, very simple, and that is the prescription that God has given us is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, His Son, and repent and turn from your sins and follow Jesus. That's it. It's not a great big to-do. It's not a great big hard process. It's a lifetime process. But the start, the culmination of, of being able to escape the wrath that we read in Revelation 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11 is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, repent, turn from your sins, and follow Jesus. That's it. Paul puts it like this in Romans 2, 5. He says, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when His righteous judgment will be revealed. It's coming. Just like the clock on that escape room will eventually go to zero, and if you haven't solved it and you didn't call and ask for more time, they open the door and you're out. You go home completely unsatisfied because you didn't solve the puzzle. They want you to pay and come back and do it again. But God's clock is going to run out. And at that moment, when His judgment is revealed, you can't call and ask for more time. It's over. It continues, Paul does in verse 6 and says, God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, He will give eternal life. But to those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be a wrath and anger. Now very quickly, so that we know that the, for the follower of Christ, for those of us that already have received Christ and we live in that, we can rejoice in the wrath of God. How about that? We could rejoice in the wrath of God. We really could put that on a card and put it on our bathroom mirror. We should be able to look at those scriptures in Revelation and thousands of other places in the Old Testament that reference it. And we should be able to say, thank you, God, that I don't have to suffer the wrath to come, the wrath of God. That's for people who follow Christ, for people who don't follow Christ, for those of you who may not know Christ, for those of you who are unsure if you are following Christ or not. I am here to tell you this morning, remind you one more time, you are going to face the day of wrath. It is coming. But what else should we talk about when it comes to God's wrath for us? Very quickly, six things. It should remind us of God's holiness. We should never look at or think about God's wrath and not think about the fact that He is holy. So it should remind us, if we had any doubt, if we were wandering around confused a little bit about which ones are the clues and which ones are the things that we're dealing with in our lives, we should look at God's holiness and understand that with holiness comes judgment. Number two, it should remind us of God's hate for sin. You say, God hates? Yes, it's in Scripture. God hates sin. 
Whatever it is that's in our lives that, that, he, that keeps us down and that keeps us oppressed and, and the things that we keep running towards to, to soothe pain or, or the addictions that we have. He hates that stuff. Why? Because it's contrary to His holiness. He is getting us ready to go and be with Him. And He has to do anything that He can do to drive the sin out of our lives. So it should remind us that God hates Sin. Number three, it should make us uncomfortable with our sin. God's wrath. Understanding God's wrath should make us uncomfortable with our sin. How in the world could we continue to do the things that we do sometimes? How can we make a conscious decision to sin? Habitual sin, we call that. Why in the world would we do that when we've taken a look at God's wrath? What is coming? It, it, we're lining ourselves up for that. We, we, we make fun of it. We, we play with it, but it is serious business. We should be uncomfortable with sin. We should be uncomfortable with the sin of others. I turn stuff off on TV when I see certain things happen because I can't stand it. It makes me sick. I love Star Trek. And I watched it seasons and seasons and seasons. And when the new Star Trek came out because of some of the elements in there, I just stopped watching it. That's just a small example of what I'm talking about. Stop being comfortable with sin. It's not something to play with. It is fire. Turn it off. You do not have to watch it. Cancel the cable bill. Knock the satellite off of the top of the house. Unplug the internet. You do not have to be comfortable with sin. As Christ followers, we should be very uncomfortable with sin. Number four, it should be an incentive for us to live a holy life. God, help me to live a holy life. Okay, study my word. Understand my wrath to come. Understand my judgment. Number five, it should fill us with a passion for the lost. Oh God, fill us with a passion for the lost. Okay, study my word. Understand my wrath. Understand that the person sitting beside you in school, the person that you work beside, the person that you have a play date with and your kids play together, understand that the people that sit beside you in church may be on their way to an eternal hell. Have a compassion for them. Understand and have a passion that they need to know Christ. When we study God's wrath, when we look at what He's going to do, it shouldn't upset us, but it should give us a passion for the lost. Is it really that important that you regain and, and, and keep your, your cool persona? Or would it be more important that you say to somebody, do you know Jesus? Oh, somebody might make fun of you. Oh, they were doing it in Jesus' day too. People were going around saying, Jesus is the Messiah. And they were like, Psh, whatever, shut up. So it may happen to you. Jesus says, get ready. When you follow me, there's going to be persecution. They're going to laugh. They're going to scoff. What difference does it make? What does make the difference is someone's eternal destination. So think about the people around you and have a passion for the lost. And the sixth thing that having a conversation about God's wrath should do is it should free us to love. It should even free us to love our enemies. You say, Pastor, what... How could God's wrath free us to love? Because we don't have to get revenge. Because we don't have to live with that kind of thing in our, in our heart against people who have wronged us. Because we don't have to go around thinking, how is it that I could get back at them? How? Hey, hey, it's God's problem. 
God's going to have his wrath on people who don't accept him. You can make a better impact, as the Bible says, on people who have wronged you by heaping love on top of them, by doing good to them, by just bringing all kinds of just mercy and grace upon them, even when they don't deserve it. Why? Because you're passionate about their eternity. It frees us to love when we study God's wrath. Finally, I want to give you four scriptures to write down very, very quickly that prove that you will not have to suffer God's wrath if you follow Christ. Number one is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we have to you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven who He raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. That's what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians, that we were going to be delivered from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's good news. We don't have to be scared. We don't have to be hesitant. We are free to love. We are free to be passionate. We are free to go out and live the life that God has called us to go and live because we obtained salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, Revelation chapter three, verse 10, because you have kept my command to persevere, Jesus said, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. We won't be here. I wish I could take you through the timeline. We won't be here when God's wrath comes to the planet. You say, so you're a pre-trib guy. Yes, absolutely, 100%. When I read in Scripture what's going on here and I see all these verses, I say, thank you, God, that I won't have to be here. There's a celebration happening inside of me. And finally, Paul writes in Romans 5, chapter 9, but God demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, listen, much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. We shall be saved from wrath through Him. That's good news. That is great news this morning. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? What a great opportunity it is for us to, to get a handle on God's wrath. Let me tell you, you probably won't attend a whole lot of churches in your life that talk about God's wrath. You probably won't find a whole lot of speakers or teachers or, or people in this day and age that we live in that want to bring that up at the pulpit because we tend to be a society, and, and even in the American Christian church, we tend to be a, a church that wants to just talk about the good stuff. I want you to know that you attend a church, that you're part of a church that doesn't run from the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. As a matter of fact, I love the book of Revelation because the very word revelation, revealed, means to uncover. It means I get to know who Jesus really is. I get to see a part of Him I haven't seen before. I get to understand what's going to happen. A lot of people pay a lot of money to go and, and, and sit and listen to people who have no idea tell them what their future is. All we have to do is open God's Word. And He says, not only have I appointed you and called you to salvation, but I am going to protect you and remove you from the wrath to come. 
How many of you across the room today, and I just trusted God this week that He would help me to say the right thing, help me to to be a vehicle of of His mercy and His grace. How many of you across the room would say, Pastor, I don't know Jesus. It's just that simple. I just don't know Him as my personal Savior, but I want to. Would you just be bold and raise your hand? Is there anybody? Anybody in the room? Somebody out there in Facebook land? Is there anybody? This is the most important decision that you will ever make in your life. This, this is the, the decision that determines where you will spend eternity. How many of you say, uh, that are here today would, ever, would say with me, I, I've been a, I'm a Christ follower, but, but I've never thought about celebrating in God's wrath before. I've never thought about that being something that, that I needed to bring up or think about or go, go read a scripture on. Is there anybody who, who just got anything this morning out of this message? Thank you. Thank you. I just needed to know I was talking to somebody. This thing has stirred me to a point where, honestly, I didn't even know what it was going to come out of my mouth when I came up here this morning. God has, has, just, he has just bombarded me this week to get to this moment. So here's what I want to do. Would you all just stand across the room? We get an opportunity as the body of Christ in this place at this moment, before the clock runs out, to worship our King. To worship our God, the God who, who has saved us from the wrath to come. Now, if that doesn't give us a reason to celebrate, if that, if that doesn't get you, get you going, if that doesn't cause you to want to throw your head back and lift your hands, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't know what to say. But here's what I'm going to do. They're going to sing a song. Y'all going to sing a song? Y'all going to sing a song? And I'm going to worship my God like you guys ain't even here. And I'm going to do it right down here. Not to be a showy or be in front of you, but what I'm hoping is that about a hundred of you will come worship our God with me. He is worthy of our praise. He has delivered me from the wrath to come. Will you point to yourself? That's how we do it in children's church. We just make it personal. God, you've delivered me from the wrath to come. Lord, I celebrate today in who you are. I thank you for the opportunity to study your word, to look at the book of Revelation, to look at the end times and to celebrate today because it won't affect me. But God, I ask that you would help me to have an impact on my life for those who are going to suffer the wrath of God. God, help me to reach them. Help me to find them. Help me to put my pride to the side and go after those who I know desperately need to know You. God, if there's anybody in this room this morning who doesn't know You, they, maybe they raised their hand and I didn't see them, or, or maybe they were just too bashful to, they didn't feel the confidence. I ask for a confidence and a boldness to indwell them right now. God, You are their God. You caused them to be here today to hear this message because You want to save them from the wrath to come. And so, God, I just pray that that even as they respond now in their heart and they just ask that You would forgive them of their sins, I just pray for an indwelling of Your Holy Spirit to come in and cleanse them, make them new. God, set them on a course. Set them on fire for You. Lord, for those of us across the room that raised a hand and said, hey, I never thought about the wrath of God as as a selling point before. God, we celebrate in You because of who You are. Because of Christ Jesus who died on the cross for us. In Jesus' name. Thank you for tuning in to this week's message. For information about the church, you can go to our website, connectionschurch.church, or you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram.